You're about to hear my conversation with Brent Joyce. We talk about the first six months of 2021, uh, what happened in the stock market. We also take a look at what happened after the Fed meeting two weeks ago. And then we get Brent's take on what's to come for the next six months. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to have Brent Joyce back. Brent, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be here again, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, I thought we'd get started by talking about the last two weeks and looking at equity markets. Uh, there was a couple of weeks ago coming out of that Fed uh, meeting, a bit of a sell-off. Uh, we've seen that largely uh, come back or entirely come back. What's your take on that? And uh, and what can we expect uh, going forward based on the most recent activity? Yeah, when you look through the month of June, uh, you, know, you can see that early weakness and then the quick snapback. It really was quite rapid, though. I mean, we were talking about four to five trading sessions so in the grand scheme of things it was almost a blink right and, and the question is equity markets is all forgiven now uh, of the fed you know chairman powell came out with soothing words um that you know we're watching inflation but we're not going to be preemptive uh in tightening and so you was this the the taper tantrum or the mini taper tantrum and you know the question that we're sort of asking ourselves is is that it now right and I was reminded of words from Franklin Roosevelt. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. And that might be a little bit strong to say unjustified terror. Sure. But I, I you know, I think that market capital markets believe that the Fed is loath to repeat the taper tantrum of 2013. Back then, it was the unknown, the fear of the unknown, right? We have all this quantitative easing tools that had been um, either never used before or hadn't been used in, in decades and decades. And so the re- episode was really the first of its kind. And the reduction, the tapering, if you will, the potential normalization of policy rates had never been done before. And so no one knew for sure what it might entail or how markets would react. And the fear of the unknown really ruled the day. And capital markets, from that episode and from a, a number of other episodes over the past decade or so, they've been accustomed to or become acclimatized to what I've started to describe as being known unknowns or known uncertainties. Mm. And this is when, you know, the specifics of the event are uncertain, but the event itself has become so frequent, the nature of the event or the style of the event, that the response has become predictable or at least markets perceive it to be that way. Mm. And it's, it's leading to this diminished response or uh, more rapid response from capital markets to what's turned out to be, you know, a number of shocks that historically would have rocked markets a little bit more than they have. And, and you know, unfortunately, some of these things that have become commonplace include mass shootings and terrorist attacks and things of that nature, that it's, you know, a sad commentary, I guess, on society today in some respects. But the Trump era, you know, became immune to bombastic, hyperbolic political rhetoric and I think now central bank reaction function and behavior to tapering, because we've seen this movie before, the stock market doesn't fear it as much. Hmm. And really what we have to think about is if it's um, 
if it's the central bank's reaction function and not inflation per se that is the problem, then soothing language from the Fed and little tiptoe steps toward tightening policy can very much be viewed as a good thing. Because, you know, the stock market doesn't fear inflation just outright. They're part of the inflation story. If demand isn't robust, then corporations won't have, you know, purchasing power, um, pricing power, right, to, right. to increase. Um, so they're part of that loop on, on uh, inflation. For sure, deflation is a much worse problem to have, right? right. Corporations can't easily fix or, or perhaps can't fix at all weak demand. And that's not what we face today. We've got this robust demand and corporations crave and thrive in an environment of robust demand. So yeah, we've got supply constraints and bottlenecks and, and labor mismatch and shortages and all that sort of stuff. And, and they're quote unquote problems, but I would say that they are good problems to have. Uh, and corporations are built to design and are on this planet to fix those kinds of problems. So if it's not inflation that stocks necessarily fear, it's the reaction function on the part of central banks, then the fear really becomes that central banks fall behind, right? This sort right. of falling behind the curve notion yeah. on inflation. And so the Fed moving uh, ever so slightly, or at least talking about talking about the taper conversation, starts to bring in this greater likelihood that the Fed won't have to slam on the brakes abruptly. Hmm. And, and that's what equity markets really do fear, is that outcome. So what's happened over the past, over June and, and the shift in tone from the Fed, which is very important and needed to happen, I think that's part of the story as well, is markets sort of saw this coming and said it's just a matter sure. of time before the Fed has to get has to get squared up on this. Right. And so the dot plot moving and, and lining up with um, where the bond market was on on where future rates are going to come from and the, and the tapering ex and so on. Uh, quite healthy, quite constructive development. Great. I, I want to just uh, circle back on uh, on some of those comments. So, so you, you mentioned it's a central bank reaction function that markets are most fixated on. Um, and this concept of complacency, I guess, is an interesting one. Um, where the market fears uh, the Fed being too complacent, but also too aggressive. It sounds like the Fed, so far at least, has uh, set expectations appropriately. Um, and, and the market is at least responding in a reasonable way to that. Would you agree with that assessment? Do you think that the Fed has done a good job on setting expectations? And do you find that the risk in this narrow scenario is the Fed being too complacent behind the curve or the Fed being too aggressive? Do I think the Fed, so your first question, I think the Fed has done a good job communicating. On our last podcast, I would have answered that question, no. Yes. And I think we talked a bit about the delicate sort of threading the needle conversation the Fed has to had to have uh, at some point over the summer. And we thought, you know, we've got an opportunity in June, then perhaps July, and there was Jackson Hole in August. Right. And so they've gotten well out in front of that. And, that, and that's, you know, a good thing. So they're, the answer to the question today is yes, the Fed has done a much better job today than they did, you know, four weeks ago. And getting out in front of it earlier, like many, many things in life, right, has been a positive for them. Um, you know, there's still uncertainty out there. The, you know, Chairman Powell hates the dot plot. And mm -hmm. we have to understand that the FOMC, when they're setting the policy rate, it is a collaborative, open discussion. The dot plot is like voting booth, right? It's an independent assessment by each of the 18 members. And so that's where you can get 
you know, outliers that drive the, the dots around or the median dot around and things of that nature. And, and so that was what happened. We, just, we simply had the dots showing a, uh, an alignment between many members of the Fed and where the, the market was uh, previously that the rate hikes would come sooner than what Powell was, was guiding toward. And then Powell comes out and says, no, 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 don't pay any attention to the dots. And, and like I said, I think if he had his druthers, he would like to see the dots go away. But the market loves the dots. Because sure. they love math and, and be able to yeah. crunch that those kinds of numbers, right? Going forward, it still has we still have this uncertainty around inflation. Is it going to be transitory or more, you know, persistent? And the jury is still out on that, as we've talked about, and it's going to take time, unfortunately, patience. And then the other piece is the employment side. Mm-hmm. And it's healing very quickly. Um, but on both of those fronts, this is where, you know, to answer your question, but has the Fed done a good job communicating? Yes, they have, but they still have a ways to go because they will not answer the question or they're incapable or unable to answer the question. What is the level of inflation that you will tolerate? What is your definition of transitory? Is that weeks, months, or years, right? And so the market is left to guess at these things. Right. And we know that when the market has to guess at things, it leaves us a little bit fragile. Great. That uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe we'll turn where we're approaching mid-year. Uh, so uh, time for, for a natural time for reflection over uh, 2021 and, and looking forward for the, the rest of 2021. Um, if we look, I, I think the, the unsurprising uh, in the fact that corporate earnings uh, are far greater than they were last year, uh, but maybe the magnitude of the increase is fairly surprising. Um, you know, love to love to hear your perspective on the upside for, of corporate earnings um, and uh, and where we go from here. Yeah, so the corporate earnings story is part of the peak everything story, and we need to take a step back and and look at the forest for the trees. We've been bombarded with numbers like we've never have been before as as society at large. You know, in this industry, we work in numbers every day. And so maybe we were already a little bit um, immune to it. But now that we have been talking about curves and R-naughts and case counts and all these things that, that the layperson didn't pay any attention to prior to 18 months ago, the size of the numbers, both down a year ago and the re-rebounds now, whether they are you know related to the health side of things, re- related to consumer spending, government spending, uh, equity market, uh, rates of change, all that sort of stuff. We have to be careful. So the 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 peak is in for many of these things simply because we've passed now, you know, lapped around the deepest trough from last year for many of these things. Sure. And so we have to parse everything that we read now from financial statistics to um, uh, economic data and so on into those two buckets. How much is base effects? And that's math. We can we can do that work and say, okay, we can get a good sense in our head around how much was just simply because of last year. Markets care nothing about that, right? It's history. And then trying to wiggle out and tease out the remaining portion of that that is um, you know nothing to do with the base effects. And so when we think about earnings, thirty five percent. Um, growth rate in earnings, 60% growth rate in earnings for this year on the S&P TSX, which is one of the highest uh, growth rates for an index on, in the world. Right. And because we, you know, we had negative energy prices in April sure. of last year. Um, so the peak is, is going to be in now or very soon for corporate earnings. But that doesn't mean that we're now going into a period where earnings are shrinking. 
right? They're just not accelerating. And so what are the numbers? We've got uh, $190 penciled in. This is consensus, right? Which I'm reasonably comfortable with these, these consensus numbers. $190 for the S&P 500, $1,200 for the S&P TSX. And like I said, 35, 60% growth rates over, over last year. Um, and you start to look now that we're crossing the half year mark, as you mentioned, markets are turning their attention to next year, right? What have you done for me lately? 2022. Sure. And the rates of change are going to come down sharply into the 8, 10, maybe 12% range, which is still good. It's still above long run averages for earnings growth, which run in the 7% range. Not surprisingly, that's how equities grow over long periods of time. There is this very strong relationship, right, between earnings and stock share, stock price growth. So we need to be careful with words like peak and shrink. Um, It's the rate of change. Things are still growing. They're just not um, growing at an accelerating pace of growth. So that's not as good as the acceleration phase, but it's not a recession either. Markets prefer the good and growing where we've just come through, but they can live with, with good and stable. It's just that good and stable doesn't drive the kinds of double-digit growth in stock prices that we have seen. It leads to more modest gains. And then we certainly have to ask ourselves the question, are we at peak revisions for earnings as well? And so we start to, to get into the question of the surprises that we've, we've enjoyed uh, in the capital markets for the past well, eight months for sure, right, in terms of going back to the announcement of uh, – of, of the, the vaccines. Right. And so I do worry that we may have some disappointment along the path. I think we'll get there in the next year with, uh, with earnings and it'll be good enough, but there is the potential for some scares along the way, whether it is the earnings themselves or as we talked a bit about, you know, what level of uh, interest rates and yields are we using to discount those earnings? Um, so there, there is a bit of delicate um, maneuvering that has to happen uh, as we move forward. And what about, so earnings is obviously uh, one of the key points of how you value a business. The other is how much you pay for those earnings uh, as far as valuations go. I think valuations largely have been uh, segregated between sort of the growth companies that were so dominant throughout uh, 2021 and then some of the value reopening trades that have become uh, more popular lately, but certainly don't trade at the multiples that we see the growth companies trade at. What's your expectation, I guess, on multiples uh, going forward on the back half of the year? Do you see that dynamic holding between growth uh, in value value, or do they come together or or what's your overall view on that? Yeah, there's sort of two questions uh, wrapped up in there. When we think about earnings, we do look at them just at the top line level. What what are the earnings uh, estimates and what are the multiples for a particular sector or a particular market? Sure. And- Wrapped up in that is some of some of the growth side and some of the value side. So let me let me just talk a bit about top line and uh, index level valuations. So as markets have continued to move higher in the first quarter of this year, and even in the second quarter for the Canadian equity market, and we looked at our view at the be- you know the beginning of this year and we thought oh you know take the TSX for example we we could see a 13 or 14% gain for this market in 2021 based mm-hmm. on low valuations and a re- rebounding and recovering earnings story and now we're we've basically at that number right we're 13 14% up uh, a year to date right and so we can we can bank and book that number because the earnings story has improved so much and so because that was a big surprise 
then we just reset the clock and, and, and um, reset the decks. And we say, okay, because earnings have come through so strong and we do continue to see them stronger, like we get $74 oil today. That was nobody's forecast seven months sure. ago. Yeah. So we can point to the fundamentals. There was room in Canada for sure to see some catch up on valuations. So the Canadian market in our estimation has been attractively valued for quite a while, many, many months. Uh, and you just looked at the gap between the S&P 500 and, and the TSX, for example. And this will get to your question about growth versus value. The sentiment has changed. We've seen good foreign flows into Canadian equities. Uh, the multiple has held reasonably steady at a number that we're okay with because it's around the 10-year average. So it's not cheap, but it's not overly expensive. And then obviously within that, you have still the energy space and you got things like Shopify. So there, there are moving sure. parts. But in general, it is a reasonable spot to be. Other measures of valuation, we can't say that about. Price to book, price to sales, price to cash flow, things of that nature, they are expensive in Canada. So we wouldn't call any equity market cheap necessarily, uh, but there are relative uh, pockets out there. So if the reopening goes well and the bond yield story stays reasonable, that we've got room to move a little higher, but we're not going to go run away, then that still favors this, this value trade. Then we've got these pockets where like we've had in, in the second quarter this year of digesting some of the quick moves on the growth trade, digesting some of the quick moves on the, the bond trade, the yields moving higher, where growth pokes its head back up again as being the favorite asset. So we're going to have this tug of war. I do think we have the ingredients in place for at least many quarters of a value trade to outperform the growth trade. That doesn't mean that I would be all in on just value. Uh, as we've talked about in the past, I think some of these growth franchises are exceptionally fabulous businesses sure. with strong pricing power. They do face a bit of a headwind, perhaps with higher bond yields, but I don't think that's going to be extraordinary. They do face a bit of a headwind potentially with some regulation and taxation issues that are still percolating in the background that haven't gone away. But the nature of these businesses has proven themselves to be quite robust. So we have this this opportunity, particularly as active um, investors, to parse through and say, well, we've got these pandemic winners that benefited from the work, stay, and play at home uh, environment of the past 15 months. They've got strong balance sheets. They are redefining their business. There are going to be some permanent behavioral changes on the part of consumers you know, adoption of, of e-commerce, for example, we're not going backwards on that. At the margin, it's not going to grow as much, but we've accelerated sure. that. And that's good for those businesses. So there's there's opportunity in that. They're still expensive. And then on the other side, you say, well, this reopening is going very well. And for the ones that were um, the most beaten up, energy, hospitality, the airlines, um, you know, restaurant businesses, car rentals, all that sort of stuff, the positive surprise that's come through in the past six months is the government supports and, and, and things of that nature, the the ability to access capital in the bond market and the equity market, um, at least companies survived. That's a massive upside surprise because there was a lot of risk that sure. you know, United Airlines or American Airlines or Hertz yeah. rental car or whatever weren't going to be here. And that was the, the going in mantra on the part of central bankers and, and fiscal policy was – we shouldn't let this pandemic scar our corporate landscape such that otherwise healthy businesses fail. That's that's 
a mistake. And by and large, we've seen that. We've probably rescued a bunch of businesses that were supposed to fail, so we only have to work off right. that hangover. Yeah. But the general intention was to make sure that these businesses got through it, and so now they have. Those share prices have rebounded from the ashes, so they're not as cheap as they were either. So you really, I think, have to be very deliberate and careful now. It's it's going forward is going to be more about fundamentals. The earnings have to justify these prices. It's not going to be about multiple expansion. So where do we see multiples? We see them compressing. But that doesn't mean that prices have to come down if the sure. earnings continue to, to, to push through, which we think they will. Great. Uh, Brent, that was that was perfect. Uh, maybe last question uh, for you, just to, to summarize uh, 2021. As I said, we're sort of halfway through the year. You've done a lot of speaking about it already, but if you could just leave the audience with a, a brief summary of your views of the first six months of 2021 and then the balance to come, what would you say? Yeah, so we, the presentation we run with these days is um, how do you top a miracle? Hmm. And I'm not the most pious guy on the planet, but if I was to point to a miracle, I would say the the speed and the efficacy of what ha what we've done, what science has done with these vaccines is nothing short of a miracle. And as you know, markets love upside surprises. And I, I can't think of a bigger upside surprise in the past 15 months than that uh, innovation and, and advent. So you then ask the other question, if markets, if you believe that markets climb a wall of worry, and I do think that there's credence in that um, that sort of heuristic, well, then the, the bricks of the wall of worry are melting away. And that's a good thing for humanity, right? This is wonderful. But for equity markets, um, they're standing, you know, at the precipice of this beautiful valley, uh, you know, Shenandoah, Shangri-La, and the sun is out and the birds are chirping. What is there left to worry about? So it's not nothing, that's for sure, which is the good news. There's still some worries there. But where will the next upside surprises come from? What does the backside of this mountain look like if we're starting to see these things peak now? And it's not doom and gloom, as I mentioned. Markets like you know, growing and accelerating, but they can live with growing and stabilizing, and that's where we're headed. It means that the back half of this year and into next year, it's going to be more modest gains to eke out. But if you just ended the year today and you looked at the year-to-date numbers, bond investors would, would complain and balk, and I don't blame sure. them, although yeah. there's been opportunities in the credit side. High yield is up yeah. on the year, so there have been a few places to hide. But for risk investors, whether it's uh, commodities or, or uh, equities, you could sew up the year right now and, and it would go down in history as being a pretty good year for risk assets. So we, we have um, an environment that I think remains supportive. Monetary policy tightens at the margin, but still very accommodative. The fiscal spending continues to flow. Pent-up savings is released as people venture out. We've got this transition to services spending from the good side. But even on the good side, the cupboards are bare. So there's an inventory restocking cycle that is a positive thing right. um, for, for corporations. Markets have come a long way. Little consolidation for them to catch their breath. Um, that might bring some volatility, but the rest of the year and into, ne into next year is still supportive. It's just not going to have these, these miracle type surprises. The one wild card, I guess, is the excitement around the spending that's going to come from governments, you know, not the rescue spending and, and the stimulus for the pandemic, but beyond that. And we had 
you know, the closest thing to uh, a deal on the infrastructure in the U.S. that we've seen so far. Probably still a bit more to go on that. But lots and lots of countries are pledging to build back better. Right. Infrastructure, social infrastructure, greening of the economy. And that's going to come with spending. Um, these are all laudable causes for sure, right? Um, generational, transformational spending on healthcare, uh, social safety nets, social equality, social injustice, all that good stuff, education. But should we and will the capital markets completely abandon the notion of fiscal prudence, prioritization of some of these, these uh, initiatives, cost-benefit analysis of these initiatives? And so the equity market will be happy to soak up the government's largesse. The private sector is going to be a big part of the solutions on a lot of these fronts. Sure. But should the bond market vigilantes come out of hibernation or, you know, or, or have a resurrection perhaps and push yields uh, too high or overshoot, then that wake up call could be rude. Um, it would, you know, if what would placate the bond market, which would be higher taxes to pay for this spending certainly isn't going to be welcomed by stocks. So that combination could deliver this check back for bond yields potentially. Right. Uh, and I'm thinking maybe more into next year. And it would be a reminder for folks that the best protection for balanced investors is high quality fixed income. Right. Uh, and we certainly haven't abandoned that notion of what a balanced portfolio looks like. Can't think of a better note to end it on. Brent, thanks very much for your time. Wonderful to be with you again, Matt. And we'll look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks. Excellent. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 